0: Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright here in Fitzgerald, chat to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama from Wales and beyond to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of the In Lockdown With podcast with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today my guest is Guy O'Donnell. Hi Guy, how's things? Hi Kieran, I'm very well, I'm good. It's lovely to be here today, I hope you're well. Good to hear, thanks for coming on. We, we were just talking about, you know, dealing with the second lockdown. And um, we you just say it does help if you can try and be protective, can try and do something. Have you found it like, difficult to be motivated during this time? How have you found it?
1: Um, I think I'm quite lucky because uh, I've kind of got um, a family around me uh, and a home. I'm lucky I've got a garden, uh, the areas around me I can walk. I'm away friends who live by themselves, mm-hmm. flats, just don't have an outside space. So I'm very lucky. Um, I found I haven't been massively creative. I don't think. I think it's quite. I think as we're going into the second lockdown, it's quite a difficult period. So I think it's yeah. important that we're kind of just there for each other, and we kind of check check on each other, and kind of just support each other because where it's you know the nights the nights are darker, it's wet. So I think yeah. it's important at the moment just to kind of be kind and kind of look out for each other. But I'm good. I'm fine.
0: That's really good to hear. Um, I want to start where I always start these podcasts, and ask you, how did you first get interested in theatre and the arts?
1: Okay, so I'm from a place called End, which is in the northeast of England. So if you've heard of Hadrian's Wall, that's where it ends, on the banks of the River Tyne, uh, where Swan Hunter Shipyards is. So I got interested in the arts because the art teachers, when I was in secondary school, were the coolest teachers. they would have the radio on in class we could have a chat we could have uh, make tea and coffee and it was just brilliant it was like that was the best place to be so when we were in art we were allowed to chat and the teachers would just like share information with you that you would never get access to so they would talk about politics they would talk about gender they would talk about kind of contemporary art music literature Mm. it was just amazing it was just a really stimulating place to be and and I suppose really I'm not that strong academically. I suppose I'm an art type. Um, and just for me, I just found that a wonderful space to be, and then they supported me. Uh, like, you know, I took art A level, we went to Paris, we did mm-hmm. life drawing classes in the local art gallery. And just for me, it was just like, wow, it's just like this, this opening up of my horizons in the world. And then I went on and did my foundation course, and then went on to do a creative degree. And I just found, for me personally, the arts are. It sounds a bit corny, but they're kind of the meaning of life. Cause it's all the, gr- the nice stuff. It's all the stuff that really, not nice kind of. It's like essential. But just, it's just stuff that feeds your soul. It's like, it really comes down to, in many ways, kind of the meaning of life in terms of what's the really important subjects that we want to talk about. So um I think, what I would say, ha- I think I was very lucky to have brilliant teachers, and I think. Lots of people that get involved in the arts, I think at some point you have, might be a drama tutor or a creative yeah. writing tutor or a teacher or maybe a workshop, and you just meet someone and like a little light bulb goes off yeah. in your head and you think, wow, this is like a job, this is something I could do. And then once you meet those people, they, they're like tra- quite transformative, I think, in terms of your life and you don't realize that at the time, but they actually change the course of your life. So, you know, a big shout out to anyone that supported anyone in terms of education are kind of roots into the arts, they're, they're brilliant and much needed, and
0: they really do need to be supported. And did your parents and your family kind of support uh, what you wanted to do in terms of a career in the arts?
1: Yeah, they did. I was very lucky. Like, my family, my,
0: my mum and dad aren't already. My dad was an electrician, my
1: mum was a nurse, Um, but they really supported... What I wanted to do, they would take me to like art galleries, we were kind of, my mum really liked drama, so we used to, in Newcastle, the RSA, used to come to the Theatre Royal year. so we used to go there together, and really enjoy that. I remember going to see my first Harold Pinter play in Newcastle, and I went with my sister, uh, Joanna, and she's about four years younger than me, and I think I was about 15. And I hadn't seen anything like Harold Pinter before, so I'd kind of just seen traditional plays. Yeah. And obviously, you know, Pinder's famous for his pauses and gaps and silences and space. And I I thought it was incredible. It was just like, wow, I haven't seen anything. It was The Caretaker, which is probably one of his most famous plays. Mm. And I was just, I was blown away. But Joanna being that bigger than me thought it was really boring. <laughs> 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 it's not, it's just kind of saying, why, why it why 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 quite the time? Why did stop and why the stopping on. It was kind of like, having parents that kind of supported me to access these things really kind of helped encourage me in terms of what did and has become my career path. But again, I think it's just really important that as young people your know, horizons are open up and you get a chance to go to whether it's you know sporting events, football, theatre, the cinema, dance, and you just try everything. Uh, like I've got kids who are kind of you know becoming young adults now and as a parent as well, you know, you take them to 101 different clubs. Mm. I think it's really important because through that you kind of get to learn and find out, you
0: know, what your tribe is or the thing is that you love to do, so... Uh, I think, I think there's still this attitude that theatre is inaccessible. Theatre is something maybe for people who are middle class or something. I think we still need to get out of that mindset because theatre should be for everyone and the arts generally should be for everyone but I don't know how we change that mindset really.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's really complicated. I know there's lots of brilliant organisations doing a lot of work to make culture and the arts more accessible. I think there's a series of kind of social and economic barriers that still exist which are kind of a wider part, part of society in terms of like uh, deprivation and kind of Lack of access to education, or even things like public transport. It's really difficult. To yeah. get the bus to the theatre, and the bus finish at half nine. You then can't stay for the show that finishes at ten o'clock. So there's there's a whole range range of issues in society, and I think it is important, as you say, to continue to try and open up access for culture.
0: Yeah, really. Hopefully, hopefully that can be looked at, you know, as a big sea change once we get out of this coronavirus crisis. Be great, yeah. But you, you studied theatre, theatre design at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama and what was that course like for you and did it give you the training that you needed um, for further on in your career as a stage designer? Oh okay, uh, good question. So um, I
1: did yeah, so I studied theatre design. Uh, so on that course you not aware of those sort of courses. You train in things like um, you design the scenery, the props, costumes, props, puppets. Yeah. Um, the whole kind of visual world, I suppose, that would exist on stage. And you also kind of look at TV and cinema as well. I was there quite a long time ago now, so it wasn't Royal at the time. It was just oh, yeah. College of Music and Drama. I was there in yeah. 93 to 96. It was a brilliant course um, and it certainly gave me the training I needed as a career. As a stage designer, you kind of get a uh, Wealth of experience, a range of wonderful tutors, uh, it's, it's, um, it's an amazing building and continues to be an amazing building. Like, I'm jealous of the young people that get to go there now because it's just like mm. what the space is like now and the opportunities they have, like, um, there's lots of TV being made in Cardiff and has been over the next last 20 years, so I think it's a, that's an amazing opportunity for all of the young people that do courses at, at Welsh College in terms of Britain the creative industries. Yeah, I, I did my course, did the degree, and then um, worked. I was really lucky. I worked as a designer then for a whole range of uh, predominantly theatre companies in South Wales. So, companies like Sherman, Theatre Nanog, and Neath, Spectacle yeah. Theatre, and RCT, Hiking Theatre. And I learned by doing um, small scale touring work because I thought that was a really good grounding. Mm. Because it's a lot of problem solving. You know, a lot of the work needs to go from venue to venue might be a different venue every night, or it might be going into a school, so you've got a real challenge of, you know, you might have to set it up in the school hall, has to fit in the back of a transit van, so it's a real kind of jigsaw puzzle of a task, in terms of mm. making the, the world you present on stage really exciting to the, your audience, but also making sure it's not too heavy, So because the actors have to carry it in yeah. the van every day, and it all fits in the van, you know, there are situations which you don't want to come across where you find your set doesn't fit in the van and you're just about to go on tour so you have to get the jigsaw out and chop off of the nearest set so it's kind of a bit of a jigsaw puzzle um so i really enjoyed those kind of design challenges of trying to solve the problem of solving all of those issues yeah Uh, and i was very lucky i have designed for a range of companies and then you know live theater is one of the most wonderful things that exists in wales it's we've got a real strength in that and it's been wonderful to see you know, organisations like Theatre Gallery for Cymru and National Theatre Wales you're born and develop and really support the theatrical infrastructure that exists in Wales.
0: Did you enjoy the touring element of it? Did you enjoy yeah, being I, on the road?
1: Yeah, I was really lucky I got to go on tour with some wow. of the shows I designed and that was vital I think just in terms of my learning as a set designer because it really taught me about the practicalities of small-scale touring like there's no point and designing a set that looks amazing, but it's really, really difficult to take apart and put back together again. Or if it's really heavy, because what'll happen is the actors or the crew will just get killed basically. They just, you know, they've got to think about doing the show. We've got to present to the audience. So really you wanna try and make their task as simple as possible and you don't, you don't want to end up in a situation where the sets slowly get smaller mm. and smaller as you're on tour because they leave bits of it in the band because they can't be bothered to lift
0: it out too right. so, so I
1: think going on tour is really, really important. It really helps you understand about all of the other roles that in a theatrical
0: company. Mm. And, and in terms of your process, can you talk a bit about what that, what that's like as a set designer? Um, yeah, sure. How you work with directors as well, Pat? Uh Yes, of
1: course. Um, so normally what you would do, or what I did, was you would, more often than not, you'd have a script. Sometimes you work from like in a devised process that's mm-hmm. been created in the room. But more frequently you'd have a, a There'd be a play script or a, a new piece of uh, writing. You would read that and then go back to the director. Um, some uh, ideas. we have often create a thing called the mood board, which is like a collage of ideas and inspiration. Um, I think you do find that certain directors and designers work together a lot because they, they develop a common visual language. So like some okay. directors are really good at kind of being able to think in three dimensions, and some directors are more about the text or the actors. Um, so developing like a visual language often like with the director might be referencing an artist or a painter or often a director mm-hmm. or a cinematic style, you know, you might go, oh, well, it's quite Tim burton and it's quite dark and gothic. Yeah. So phrases like that really help you kind of develop your vision. Once you've done the mood board and you kind of shared that with the director and you kind of got a sense of what you think the world will look like, you would then normally go into a white card model, which is just a very basic model of the set, or you might choose to do that um, online. You might do that te- technically, so you might use like card and do it on the computer. You can share that again with the director, and kind of talk about your vision, talk about the practicality design because set design is three dimensions, it's about real human beings in a real space, so you've yeah. kind of really got to pull apart those 3D ideas. If they're happy with that, then you would produce a finished model, and again, you could do that in a 3D actual physical model, or you could do that on a computer. Um, increasingly, everyone's creating things um, on computers, because uh, there's a lot of practical reasons for doing that. Again, you would create that and they would approve that have a conversation about it and once everyone's completely happy you would go in and then do the technical drawings okay. so the carbon does would build the scenery you would do costume designs and the costume department would create the costumes you sometimes this designer paints all the set as well um, and sometimes makes the costumes and then basically they are all well created and as you go through the process you start usually most directors quite like having the set in the rehearsal room quite early so it helps them get a sense of the space. Put it all together and then kind of in the production week everybody works with the set and the costumes and all the other elements and then usually the designer then usually finishes on the first night so when the show goes live right. when it goes live the responsibility for the theater, like the scenic contents and the costumes then go back to the stage manager and the designer then usually finishes so it's an amazing process and the bit I mm. really liked was as I mentioned kind of the problem solving in terms of the practical elements in terms of trying to make sure that set fitted into the different spaces and have of tour too but I also found the research element really fascinating so whether you're researching a period of history um, or it might be a particular artistic style yeah, um, or a geographical location you know if it's based in North Wales so you could really spend quite a long time learning about the world and I really enjoyed that, that was quite something I really spent quite a long time on but yeah it's an, it's an amazing career
0: and in terms of creative freedom how much did you have to kind of follow the director's vision and portray what the director wanted, as opposed to really putting your, your creative vision on stage. Was there a balance to be found
1: there? Yeah, it's always a balance. I think the kind of performance, you know, whether it's the actors, the writer, mm-hmm. stage managers, um, it's a balance, it's a compromise. It's Well, the compromise is probably the wrong word. It's, it's, a, it's a collective vision. Mm-hmm. And you all kind of work as a company to deliver that. Because I think with the most successful work that you see, whether it's a play or a dance performance or, or a piece of film, the, the product, the, the, the thing is what you should go away from and think that was brilliant, so it shouldn't be, you shouldn't go and think the, the music was the best or the set was the best, or the CGI was the best, or a certain actor was the best it was the actual piece, it's the whole concept mm, it's the whole yeah. world that is created that's when it's added its most success you just think you know, when I went to see, I don't know The Godfather, or what, it's just like Oh, that whole package was just amazing. Um, so I think it's trying to get that, comp- that not compromise, that, that collective vision, that, that collective response. Um, and I think sometimes um, the designer has to compromise in terms of like the practical reasons. You have to understand that it has to fit in the theatre, has to be tourable, um, it has to last the tour, so the, the materials yeah. have to be quite hard-wearing. You know, it's no good They're looking beautiful, but then it falls apart because it's too you know, fragile. So it's, it's, it's a mixture of kind of practical solutions and an artistic freedom to create a vision which the entire company feel happy with and kind of, but mm. well, very often it's kind of you're, you're there really to realise the director's vision but most directors, the yeah. best directors I think see that as a collective effort. It's not, they're not kind of dictatorial in terms of their vision, it's about mm. how they, they employ who they see as the best creatives in whatever departments and they then share in that creative
0: process together. So it's not usually one person's vision, it's kind of pulling on all the different individuals and their creative skills. Very interesting. Uh, And how how did you then transition, or did you transition then from your set design career pathway to what you do currently in terms of community engagement in the arts? And and was it something that you tried to balance for time? Did you try and do both?
1: Uh, so I don't think I would. I wish I could pretend I've got like a career path plan, mm. but I haven't. It's kind of just I've kind of just stumbled from one job to another. Yeah, I'm in, I'm interested in careers that are creative and um, where there's quite a lot of freedom. Um, but I don't. I didn't ever. I've kind of just. I think where I'm at now is I, I did quite a few years as a designer, but there are aspects of the designer's path where if you're a freelancer, you're, you do have a lack of job security, which is fine, you know, but it does mean that you're constantly chasing your next gig, yeah. um, which, which can be quite pressured for some people. Um, and also the, the world of the set designer can sometimes be quite lonely, like you'll be part of the team, but a lot of the time you're working by yourself. And I think as I got more and more experience, I wanted to be more involved in kind of the entire creative process. So I started to move into, I um, set a community engagement and kind of those sorts of areas. So I went from, in my kind of personal career path, I went from a theater
0: designer to then I trained as a, a teacher. Uh, so okay. I trained in Cardiff, did a PGCA,
1: and taught secondary um, art in Durham, and the northeast of England. Um, And I think what I've always been interested in is trying to support access to cultural provision, because as I said earlier, I think it was such an Mm. important thing for me when I was younger. And I always felt um, frustrated that it wasn't valued and that sometimes, as you mentioned earlier about access to theatre, it felt access to culture is often thought of as quite a middle class um, Mm. profession or it's an area for the middle classes and certain groups of people in society feel it's not relevant or they're excluded from those experiences. So I think as I've gotten older and older, that's become more pressing and felt more important to me. So I've kind of, I think I've combined my skills as a theatre designer into community engagement pathways and then went into become, uh, I worked in art galleries, as an exhibition curator, I've worked in local authorities, as an arts development officer supporting a range of different um, art forms. Mm. Then I worked at the Sherman Theatre in Cardiff and then Current job for National Dance Company Wheels as the learning and participation producer. So, I think the, the common area in that is all about access to cultural provision. Um, and I've worked in a range of art forms, mm. but I think that's the kind of the, the nugget which is at the center of that is kind of access to culture and kind of the importance layers to, to people's lives. So, I didn't ever decide to stop being a no. theatre designer, it was kind of just I organically drifted into the area I'm currently working in.
0: Mm. And um, it's interesting that you say it wasn't a choice and it just happened. Um, have you had you, even when you were a stage designer, did you feel strongly about access to cultural provision? Was that a strong, not an opinion, but something you believed in strongly, even at that time, based on your personal experiences? I think I did but I didn't realize at the time like I was lucky enough to work for uh, the
1: Sherman theater and I worked mm-hmm. for a lot of the there used to be a project there called acting out um which was supporting young people who may be excluded from mainstream education okay. into a career pathway in the arts and that was really really important because it was literally young people who were basically at the really facing real challenging circumstances, you know, they'd been, they had been excluded from school, then it just gave them an opportunity to kind of, to, to make a difference and kind of to find value in their lives. And then I also did work like Arthur Sherman, I designed for the under sevens, their Christmas shows. I did work for Theatre Nanog, who do some amazing work in terms of education, as do spectacle and RCT, and hijinks who support, um, you know, people with a disability. And I think the core of that is always, I've kind of just, when you are lucky enough to sit in and watch those audiences kind of accessing that work, and, and they, you can see that they value it. That's probably been there all the time and it's just kind of grown um, organically when, I, when I've been in those events and part of those companies and kind of having conversation with colleagues about why access to education, you know, life at home is important for, you know, primary school kids, why it's important to take work to schools because some children will never get to go to a theatre so to take taking it directly to them. I think it's always been there, but I don't, again, I don't think it was, it was just a gentle, organic
0: process, which grew and grew and grew. And doing that at a time where arts provision and funding for the arts is, you know, there's less funding than there was ten years ago, it's so important that we continue to speak up for this stuff, and that children in schools still have access to theatre, even if you know, their parents wouldn't have the to take that. It's so important to introduce. Probably, you um, I as, as someone from the northeast of England, uh, you've spent most of your career in Wales. How would you compare the arts and theatre scenes in the north and in Wales? Oh, that's a good question.
1: Um, I think I found Cardiff, so I came from World's to Cardiff to do my degree. I found that two areas quite similar. Uh, you know, they were predominantly working class areas. They were industries that had a high degree of industrial employment, you know, whether it was the shipyards or coal mines, um, docks areas, um, and kind of were, were and still are trying to find their way in the world just in terms of Britain to employment, developing industries, uh, you know, kind of face challenges in terms of a lack of investment from... Uh, the UK government in London, um, you know, that's that's extremely relevant. Mm. You know, right now when we talk about you know Andy Burnham and Manchester and lockdown in in Wales, um, you know, I can see a lot of it's the same thing in terms of um, a lack of uh, investment in cultural funding, whether that's health, the arts, as we just mm. mentioned. You know, there's there's real issues. So I could, I felt really at home in Cardiff because it just felt like. The people of Cardiff and the issues that Cardiff faced were very similar to World's End and Newcastle in the northeast of England. I think the theatre scenes are quite similar. Um, obviously within when I first came to Wales I wasn't aware of the Welsh language and' it being a bilingual nation right. and it, I think that's wonderful. you know my children have been lucky enough to uh, be taught in the Welsh language or bilingual mm. um, and' it's, it's the, va- the value it's given to their life and the, how it's enhanced their, their quality of life is incomparable so that you know that's just been a wonderful discovery for me coming to Wales, but well, I think, you know, there's a strong working class um, scene in terms of cultural provision in, in Wales, whether it's Theatre Barrack House in North Wales, or like, you know, more, f- more uh, recently Commonwealth, more based in uh, Neely in, in Cardiff, um, and then you've got a strong kind of working class theatre scene in North East of England, with like Brothers Theatre Company, um, a strong poetry scene, music, so, so there's a lot of commonality. so I just felt that all, really, I think that's that's mm. your understanding, so I just... I came here yeah, and I just thought, oh, yeah, I think the main difference
0: is it's warmer in Cardiff. Um, that's the difference <laughs> really? between in Cardiff, in Cardiff, it tends
1: to be a cagoule, and in, in Newcastle, you tend to have need to have a big thick coat on, so that's that's the big mm. difference. And it tends to be less rain, I think, as well. That's that's the big difference. So, like, my parents still pretend that it's always as warm in Newcastle as it is in Cardiff, but it's yeah. not really. Um, uh,
0: and did you? <laughs> and, and did you feel welcomed by the, uh, the artists and the people working in Cardiff? Yeah. Did you feel part yeah,
1: of that? Yes, so I did. I came to Cardiff to do my degree at Welsh College. I was lucky enough to have a, a, a room in a house which up Roth Park, which, if you know Cardiff, Roth Park is just mm. amazing, especially this time of year. Um, yeah, and everyone that I met um, was, was really welcoming. The course tutors were welcoming, and then kind of the wider art scene. think if you're interested in culture, well, I think if you want a nice place to live, you know South Wales and Wales itself is is amazing and it's a really welcoming uh, place. And as I say, I found a lot of commonality between kind of the the culture of the northeast of England and the culture of Wales and South Wales. So yeah, I felt completely at home. And as you say, I've been here longer than I have been uh, in Newcastle where I grew up and I kind of think of myself as Welsh if that's. That's okay with people
0: from Wales and the kids of Welsh, yeah. so I, d- I don't think I'll ever leave. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, you're like an adopted Welshman. You can be an adopted Welshman. Uh, absolutely you. fine. Jim, problem or <laughs> Um, So, you are the project coordinator of Get the Chance. I was just wondering if you can maybe explain to people who don't know what Get The Chance does, the aims of the project and how it's come on since you started and how it contributes to the art scene in Wales. Okay great, so that's
1: quite a lot of questions. Yeah. I'll try and break that down but that's you know, just to give, just to give you an overview, the project started when I used to work up at Gen Council as an arts development officer, so if you're not aware of the role of arts development officers because they're underfunded and underappreciated um, they are funded by the local authority to support cultural provision, so it could be uh, a health-based dance project for other people, the youth theatre, library services, um, youth drama, you know, the a whole public art the a whole range of things they do. And it started when National Theatre
0: Wales, in their first year,
1: brought a play by Gary Owen, called Love Seeds From Loneliness to Hobo's Nightclub, uh, and the play really was about what it was like to be a young person in Wales. Uh, They did it in a nightclub, which is like a non-theater space. And one of the things we were discussing uh, with the young people was, if a production gets a review, Mm. it's often by an older person, and it's often a middle-class man. And there's nothing wrong with older middle-class men, but we thought as this production was aimed at young people, we would get the young people to respond to it. So we did some workshops. The team from NTW uh, supported us. We got some professional critics in. It was amazing. The young people really enjoyed it. So the young people involved said we really enjoyed that, we created some reviews, can we do it again? I said yes, if we want to, we'll see what's possible. So I contacted a range of arts organisations and said are you interested in what young people think about your work? They all said yes. So it's kind of grown from that. So that was Young Critics. We developed into Third Act Critics, which we call people age 50 plus. We run Community Critics' Wheels, which is 50 50 onwards. I I left Bridge Council uh, after about six years. So I then carried on running the project and developed it into a social enterprise and basically what we do now is we create opportunities for a diverse range of people to experience and respond to sport, arts, culture and live events. Uh, We create opportunities for a whole range of people um, and we use an online magazine website as a platform to showcase our activities, workshop features, uh, workshop content, it features reviews, editorial features and a great deal more the website is used as a platform from members to share, discuss, evaluate their personal responses with their networks and the wider world. Um, and just as what might be of interest, on name, have yeah. the chance. That came from a conversation between the comedian, Billy Connolly, and former Scottish trade union leader, Jimmy Reid. Uh, and at Reid's funeral in 2010, Billy Connolly said, I remember Jimmy saying that if you look at these housing estates and high rise flats, Look at all the windows. Behind every one of these windows is someone who might be a horse jumping champion, Formula One mm-hmm. racing champion, a yachtsman of great degree, but they'll never know because they'll never get to step on a yacht or a Formula One car. They'll never get the chance. So I just thought that was a wonderful... It was kind of yeah. what you were expressing before, you know, about the kind of access mm-hmm. to culture. If people never get the opportunity to experience these things, they'll never uh, go into a career. So what we try and do is open up opportunities for everyone to see a whole range of work and then respond to that work. Uh, and we really value uh, their opinions, We, our youngest members of ten, our oldest members 95, we support people who are um, from a whole range of backgrounds, people who are blind, people who are deaf, but BSL video reviews, audio mm-hmm. reviews, uh, for people who are blind, we're really interested in the creative potential of the internet and how that supports access. And it's just a lovely project to run. You know, I really value all our members, they go and see work in their free time, uh, and I think it contributes to the arts in Wales because it makes it more democratic. Mm. I think lots of the arts in Wales are funded yeah. through public money, but
0: well, as we said earlier, um, yeah. a minority of people
1: get to access cultural provision, mm-hmm. whether that's contemporary dance, visual arts, drama, yeah. uh, opera. So we try and open it up, and our membership is diverse. You know, we've got parents, we've got older people, we've got primary age children, um, black people, you know, people from a whole range of countries and backgrounds. Just We, we try and hopefully be a little bit more representative of society. We try and represent the public. Um, I don't think we cover everyone. I don't think we'll ever be able to do that. But we try and have a yeah. whole range of people involved, and we really value their time and their opinions about... What
0: they go and say in review. And how do you develop those critical, um, not critical analysis skills, but giving people the confidence and the ability to write, um, objectively and express an opinion? How do you develop those skills in people so that they feel confident enough to be able to write a review? Because that might be a very really big thing for some people, I imagine. Um, yeah, it's very
1: true, it's very important. I think a lot of people feel that they, they lack confidence, or they might feel as though they don't have the, the correct skills to respond. So, in one way, I don't care about that, because what I'll right. say is if you want to just use your phone, and record what you think, and we'll post what you see on the phone, so if, you know, if you're worried about your actual literary abilities, uh, and your writing skills and you don't worry too much about the grammar. So so it can be, we kind of try and make it really democratic and say that's fine, we kind of value your opinion. But then we also do run workshops. So I work with a range of organisations. What, what does work well is we we'll often run workshops before performance. The workshops are free. Uh, I usually run them, although I bring other professional critics in as well. And then we go through the process of creating a review. Different review methods, methodologies, the basic structure, yeah. how to format a review. So there's a plan, there's a format there for people to follow if they choose to do that. But what I often say to our members, and I think really what makes their their content and their reviews of interest is their voice. You know, kind of mm. there's quite a lot of content on online. There's quite a lot of reviews. But really, what pe- you know, pe- why people will go to the voice of a playwright, or the work of a poet, or a painter is the, the voice, is the character, is the personality. So I think if you can get that personality across in your review, I think that's why people then will go to read it. And I think you will also develop a readership. So if you people start to get to know what your voice is like, then you know we all, we all like certain poets or singers. You can you, you drift in that direction. So we do give them the basics. We give them the toolkit yeah. in order to become a critic. But what I try to do then is support them to support them as an what makes them stand out in the
0: crowd. And they will find their voice and they will find a way of responding. To, to they do, them yeah, yeah,
1: they do. And then some of our members have kind of, then once, they might not have experienced a, a very broad range of cultural provision. You know, they might have never seen an opera, uh, yeah. or a piece of contemporary dance, or a piece of new writing. And some people, some of our members go, wow, I, you know, I didn't know that. They might have seen drama, or they might not have seen new writing, or they might not have seen physical theatre. Yeah. And often they'll go, oh wow, well, I really like that thing. So they start to develop um, more. More, they go and see more work of that nature, and really start to develop a readership um, as regard that art form. You know, so people will head in mm. their direction and think, um, oh great, that person really likes to review. You know, Welsh new writing, or it might be physical theatre, or it could be circus or opera. And because you know, in terms of art forms, there's just a multitude of different things that we can, yeah. can access and respond to. So I think again, that's a part of. Um, trying to say to people, you can access all of this
0: stuff, but you might you might start to develop like a palette
1: or, or, or a range of work that you really like to review. And, and, and then organisations often then approach them and some of our members have, have gained employment because they've been paid to, yeah. um, to critique and talk about the work. And often, um, you know, some companies perform their work and it doesn't get a critique, it doesn't get a response and they're kind of performing to a vacuum. So I think it's really important that we have a range of critics who kind of respond to artists, to respond to who are more representative of the public and kind of just raise awareness of cultural provision. That's a a real shame, but in the last few years, there's less cultural uh, journalism. You know, uh, Mm. critical uh, critics are disappearing. uh, Especially
0: in in Wales, because we've got staging, we've got the national reviews, put into national, meaning UK, (laughs) um, but in Wales. You know we haven't got these review reviewers who will review shows, so I think it's really important that you know they're given the they get the chance for viewers to gain a platform. And artists will take notice of that because of the lack of art journalism in Wales, which I think is a real problem. Um,
1: I agree. It's really important that we support um, arts journalism in Wales in languages and, um, and you know, from a variety of backgrounds you want um, academic style critiques of work, but then yeah. I think you also want, you want to know what a primary school kid thinks of your work as well. Definitely. Mean, you need this whole range, because as I say it's publicly funded, so you really want to see what the public thinks of this work it's really valid and really important. I'm
0: going to move on slightly. I want to talk about your role as uh, Learning and Participation Producer with National Dance Company Wales. Can you firstly talk about what that role involves a little bit? Yes, of course. So in
1: my role as a Learning and Participation Producer at National Dance Company Wales, I would broadly say that uh, the main purpose of my role is to support the public to access our work. So mm. we are a rep company. We have a com- company of dancers. To uh, create work with a team of choreographers, um, and we are based in the Dance House, which is the back of the Wales Millennium Centre in Cardiff Bay. And we then tour work across the world, uh, both in Wales, England, Scotland, Ireland, and the world. So we tour nationally and internationally. We tour works at different scales, so we tour work which will go into a community centre, a minors' institute,
0: yeah.
1: a theatre, or an opera house, you know, a whole range of work. Alongside that work then, we support um, education activity. We run some health-based projects. We run a um, Dance for Parkinson's project, which supports people who are living with Parkinson's. Mm. Um, We have work which is online. Um, We produce videos, we produce films. There's a whole range of work, and I'm really lucky to work with a really talented company to kind of support people to the art form, which is contemporary dance. and to work with a, you know a, a range of wonderful creative people so again I think it comes back to what we mentioned earlier in terms of access to cultural provision
0: mm.
1: but this time the art form is contemporary dance which was a relatively new art form to me I didn't know that wasn't my area of expertise okay. so I really enjoyed learning more about the role that contemporary dance plays in the cultural life of people living in Wales and the world and it's I'm, you know I'm really honored to have this role it's a real pleasure to connect the
0: public in contemporary dance. Do you feel that people are still a bit kind of wary or a bit unsure about engaging with do you think people have a perception about contemporary dance? Um, Yeah, I think some people, some people do, in the same way some
1: people have a perception about opera, you know, sometimes people think of certain art forms a certain way, but I've learned that actually uh, contemporary dance is extremely accessible like often within uh, so say if you're going to talk about drama sometimes it can be a language barrier Um, within dance there's very often very little spoken word it's about movement, it's about physicality it's about music Um, the pieces can often um, range in length from five minutes to half an hour so the the, the performance time can be quite quick, so you can kind of move on and say your whole range of work within within one evening, and we all dance, we all move, you know, I'm sure mm. you make a boogie on a, on a Friday night, <laughs> we, all, we all dance, you know, we've all got a physical language, Yeah. Um, you know, we might think of ourselves as dancers, but we all connect through movement and physicality, um, and I think you've just kind of just got to connect people in whatever way you think will work for them, whether it's through a movement, whether it's taking part mm. in workshops, whether it's the themes of the work, whether it's the narrative, whether it's the musical style, uh, and I find it a, a wonderful art form. I feel as though it really it enhances my life. Uh, you know, both in terms of uh, I was chatting to a colleague uh, about lockdown and COVID, and we talked about kind of the mental health benefits of physical yeah. activity and sport and dance. And I think for a whole range of reasons, you know, dance is just a wonderful art form to again enhance the quality of life, and, but also kind of talk about a range of really important oh, really? cultural themes. And you know, it's just, just, it's just a, a wonderful art form. I, I'm really lucky
0: to have this role. Uh, and you've uh, been running a project called Dance for Parkinson's with NDCW. Uh, um, wha- what have those sessions been like through lockdown and what's it been like working online? How have you found that?
1: OK, great question. So as many organisations have found uh, lockdown and kind of delivery has been really difficult because we used to run our Dance for Parkinson's classes, which we run in partnership with English National Ballet um, at Blackwood Miners Institute, mm-hmm. which is in Cofilly, and then the Dance House on a Thursday. So they used to run weekly, and members would come along, they were all living with Parkinson's, and take part in a class led by Yvette and Helen, our tutors, and the classes are based on the repertoire of both of the companies. Um, so lockdown happened and we could no longer run the classes in the spaces, so we had to find a way to... Support access to our members. So, we piloted some um, sessions on YouTube. So, our tutors created some standalone sessions on YouTube, which was basically one of our Dance for Parkinson's classes. So, it meant all our members could either access them on YouTube or the follow people who didn't have access to the internet, we put them onto a DVD disc so they can watch them on DVD right. at home. Then, what we did is we ran some trial sessions on Zoom um, over the summer to see if people could access the live sessions because Live access to cultural provision is kind of so, so important. And we've worked with an organization called Digital Communities Wales, funded by Welsh Assembly Government, to support people to get access to the internet and get online. And those sessions went well. Uh, We ran four of them over the summer, and we learned a great deal, both as an organization. I've Helen our tutors in terms of their delivery, they were outstanding. And then our participants as well, just supporting them to get online, Mm. learn about Zoom, the chat function, all the, all the different kind of areas within yeah. Zoom. And now we've continued to run the sessions um, since September. They currently run weekly on a Thursday afternoon. We supported our members to um, normally they would just turn up and pay, we supported them to get, get online and pay online. And um, I know it's been really important. Like I, We spoke to some of our members about the benefit it's had to their lives because they found lockdown uh, mentally and physically extremely different. So one of our members said, Lockdown has been very hard as I was no longer able to see people in my family. I felt isolated and my speech was suffering. I found the National Dance Company Wheels, Dance for partners and Zoom sessions helped me reconnect. It was lovely to see the teachers and all the participants of our groups. The sessions were very uplifting for me, and I always look forward to them. So we know it's really important to them, and we've continued to develop the sessions um, from September, October, now moving into November. Um, and we base our work on rep as we say so we're looking at a piece called Flappy which is a piece which is created by one of our company dancers called Edmar Hill and and we're creating a dance film with them so we're going to be recording some of the sessions on Zoom and the dance film will launch in January so we also support our Dance Partners members to become dancers as well, we see them in the same way as we see our company dancers so it's the same manifestation of National Dance Company Wales whether it's a. Associate Chief Dance Company, or Professional Dancers, or Dance for Parkinson's. They're all outcomes of dance supported by a national dance company, in Wales, and we see it all equally, and they're all of uh, equal importance to us as an organization. So I think it's extra valued by our members. It's a lovely project to work on, um, and I think it has been really important to continue delivery online. Mm. And hopefully, as we move into the spring. We'll move into model, uh, people are often using the word blended delivery, where we'll do right, some online yeah. delivery, but we'll be able to return to some physical delivery in the future. So fingers crossed for that. Well, let's some hope.
0: Spring. Let's hope that that is going to be possible. Yes. Um, and if people want to see that film, how is it going to be released? How is it going to be distributed?
1: So if you want to see any of our film content, if you actually just go to um, National Dance Company Wales' website, there's a whole range of films on there. Uh, over the summer, we created a digital platform, a digital Hub, and within that there's a range of dance films, workshops, uh, which are still live. So there's dance films, there's workshops for primary schools, for people that might have mobility problems, we've got small little dance tasks, which are wonderful company dancers, called, uh, phrases for small spaces little dance tasks which people can do but this video I've just talked about based on clapping that'll go live in January so if you watch our social social media channels whether that's Instagram, Facebook or Twitter check those out and we'll be sharing that and I'll send you a link if that's alright you can share it well
0: yeah I definitely listens. will do that yeah thank you yeah. and I'm going to move on slightly because um, a lot of but it's linked I suppose because a lot of the work that you've done involves community art outreach what we've been talking about um how how important is it I guess I'm going to rephrase this question a little bit um, but how important do you think it is that professional arts and community arts in Wales are kind of connected that there is that connection between community arts and professional arts? I think it's vital. Um, I think it's really
1: important that there is no disparity between voluntary arts, community arts, and what is seen as professional arts. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we value the time people put into, I was lucky enough to do A-levels, or foundation, degree, um, and that training does provide um, a wonderful opportunity for the individuals and then does enable artists to train and kind of deliver at a very high level but i think it's also really important to value people who take part in the sunday dance class whether they um, take part in a textiles group i think really access to culture um, at all levels is one of the it's one of the key areas in terms of their um, quality of life in wales mm-hmm. uh, it's seen as important in you know, it's mentioned in documents by the Wellbeing and Future Generation Act, where they talk about Wales of a vibrant culture and a thriving Welsh language. And I often, when I'm kind of thinking about these things, I often think about things like the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, which, if you don't know, it's a milestone document in the history of human rights. There's a range of different articles in there, but um, Article 27, so I just had a little think about this before the interview today, that states that everyone has the right freely to participate in the cultural life of the community, enjoy the arts and to share in scientific advancements and its benefits. So I think you know, we should be support everything we can do for people to freely participate in the cultural life of our communities here in Wales and to enjoy the arts whether that's um, an amateur tap dancing club or what's the WNO or that's the sea film funded by Rathakumri. Um I, ju- I just think that access to cultural provision is so important and yeah, yeah. I think one of the kind of key areas I think about is it just connects us as human beings and makes us more empathetic mm. I think the, by seeing stories from a range of cultures and communities from across the world and the range of styles it kind of allows us to window into a range of life experiences that I don't think you'd experience otherwise you know whether it's a play or a TV series or a film or a piece of dance allows you time to think and consider uh, experiences and cultures from different periods in history or contemporary society and I think it's vital, you know. I to, like sounds a bit corny, but I think it's as vital as oxygen, water, medicine. It's just a, a, a life devoid of culture would be a really, oh, and we'd be husks, you know, we'd be soulless. So I just think at every level, whether it's Little Mix doing a Saturday night talent show, or whether it's the WNO or Theatre Games latest play, it's mm-hmm. just all of it is equally valid and it's all important. And we should fight tooth and nail to kind of, as uh, you mentioned earlier pressures
0: we feel against it, we've got to retain it. I, I wish that the politicians would feel the same, you know, because mm-hmm. over the last few months especially, it just feels like all of that all of that wonderful stuff that you just outlined has been totally devalued as something that is a luxury, but it's not a luxury. It is no, so I think, I think. I think some politicians do value it. Um, I
1: think I have seen during lockdown, there's a range of politicians, both um, across the UK and in Wales, who kind of raised it. You know, the very real issues that freelancers have faced um, within the cultural uh, community in terms of all their work has just stopped. You know, real, like of friends who are facing really fa- difficult financial times. So it's been, it's really been um, important to see politicians step up and express how important it is culturally, but also financially. You know, the, the, the creative industries in Wales, you know, yeah. talking in a broad sense bring in millions of pounds you know both in terms of um industry but both in terms of secondary spend you know if you go and say a musical at the wmc it supports a range of restaurants uh, yeah as you say lined up outside it's such a big part of everybody's life you know so it does we need to be broad and we need to think about right now but we also need to think about five years ten years in the future and how do you know it's why um organization like um well-being the future generation act
0: is important because it allows us to think about current generations but future generations and you know what do we want our ch- what sort of world do we want our children to grow up in mm. really important really vital I think I agree uh, the last thing I'm going to ask you is how I finish every podcast it really is what what advice would you give to People who uh, maybe just out and want a career in the art.
1: So I would say, what's the most important thing? I would say to be open-minded. I think it's to broaden your palate. So it's to give everything a try. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you think, oh, I don't like contemporary dance, give it a try. I don't like opera, give it a try. I haven't seen a Welsh language play because I don't. I'm not a Welsh speaker. I'm a learner it a try a lot of performances have subtitles or captions give it a try so i think that way you kind of really start to learn about what you do like and what you really don't like um and i think what is really important is those opportunities for people to give it a try are funded uh, you know work is accessible whether we're very lucky in wales that then normally the museums are open for free and we can say a wonderful array of work from all across the world so i think it's about Saying to our politicians and to people that fund access to education and culture, please continue to fund it because it, it is so vitally important. Mm. And then to the public, do access this work whether it's um, a TV series, whether it's a play, whether it's a museum. Give it time because I think it's, as I say earlier, it, 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 it enhances everyone's life. So I think I think my, my advice is to be open minded and it's just about yeah. try continually trying your experiences, even if you don't like something. know you think you don't like something give it a try because you never know what you might think when you actually go and say it.
0: Thank you Gary it's been fantastic talking to you thank you for your time.
1: Thank you a pleasure to be involved uh, and I've really enjoyed just what we're talking about the importance of culture your podcast is a very important contribution to the you know cultural discussion in Wales and across the world so good luck with your work in the future.
0: Thank you, and thank you for supporting the podcast and sharing all my posts. You've been brilliant since I started this project. But I will see you on the next episode of the In Lockdown With podcast. So until then, it's bye from me, and it's bye from Guy. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.